and I don't know. It's like putting it in. K-Billy Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend just keeps on coming with this little ditty that reached up to 21 in May of 1970. The George Baker selection, Little Green Bag. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? Tonight on the Late Night Fright, Mystery Thriller Month continues with a movie about trust, friendship, and the super sounds of the 70s. It's the feel-good movie of 1992, Quentin Tarantino's directorial debut, Reservoir Dogs, starring Harvey Keitel, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, and Steve Buscemi. Clowns to the left of me, chokers to the right. We're stuck in the middle with you tonight on the Late Night Fright with Dan and Faith right here at WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Dick, 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 dick. Welcome to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, co-host Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Faith, Mystery Thriller Month continues here in the month of January. We started with Rear Window. We moved into Play Misty for me from Clint Eastwood. Then we did Brian De Palma's Blowout, a great movie. I think maybe our favorite movie that we've done on this show so far. Mm -hmm. We are continuing with 1992's Breakout directorial debut from quentin tarantino what are we talking about faith reservoir dogs reservoir dogs one of the great independent pictures of the early 90s independent cinema really flourished in the early 90s we are going to be talking about a gentleman tonight that is one of the uh real architects of that happening there in the 90s defined the 90s in a lot of ways this is a very very good movie i like this movie I like this movie a lot. I like it too. <laughs> I want to tell a uh, tell a funny story real quick. I was in the I was in the grocery store yesterday. I was uh, getting a salad, and I was checking out. And there was a little girl, five maybe six years old. She was there. Her dad works at the store. Young guy, and uh, she and her mother were leaving. And it was so sweet. She was about. 10, 10 feet from him. You know that she'd give him a little hug, and she turned around. She goes, "Daddy, I love you," and continuing away and. The uh, girl checking me out and the the bag boy, we we both saw it. We were we had front row seats for it, and all three of us at the same time go, Oh I mean it was the sweetest thing you'd ever want to see. And then the bag boy goes, Little kids are so sweet at that age. And then he turns around and goes, and then they grow up. And I'm thinking to myself, and then they grow up into the people that we're going to be talking about tonight on this show, right? Yes, that's correct. Right. I mean that was my first thought was God, he's right. And then they grow up into the Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> which is a damn shame. <laughs> oh, so uh, welcome uh, back to Cozy Corner. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We are so glad to have you. If you're a return listener, thank you for co- your continued support. We have listeners all over the world. I said last week, we want to hear from you. We know where you are. <laughs> we know you're in Australia and Russia. There's a lot of you in Russia. <laughs> There's a lot of you in France and Germany, a lot of you in the UK. Send us a little voicemail. You can do it right in your phone. You can say, hello, tell us where you're from. And, uh, you know, if you have a message for us or a message for the listeners out there, uh, if you want to say stay spooky, anything you want to say, we would love to hear from you. If we get it, you can uh, get on our website, latenightfright.com. The link to our email address is there. Send that to us. And guess what? We're going to play it on the show. And we have something else going on. We mentioned it last week. I think the end of March, we are going to unveil our lists for the 10 greatest films of the 90s. The one we're talking about tonight would definitely be in contention 
for a spot on that list. We are going to be putting together our top 10 uh, films of the 90s. Our good friend Kate is also going to be putting together a top 10 list. We're going to unveil those possibly on the show or do a separate show. If you out there listening would like to participate, this is not a contest or anything like that, but if you would like to send us your top 10 films of the 90s, not not just horror films or thriller films, just from that decade, send that list to us and uh, we will read it on the air. Uh, There will be no critiquing of your list. Just, hey, this is this is what uh, so and so thinks. About. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. That's what she said. <laughs> there it is. I stole your joke. Faith. Stole my joke. Stole your, uh, stole your joke. I would also like to announce that Faith and I made a huge life decision shortly before <laughs> this show went on the air. We have been talking about content that we can bring you, things that we can do. So to uh, let you know how this happened, I was very much under the weather over the weekend, so I started going back to some old favorites. Now, I don't know how you feel. Faith, when you're sick, do you go to like your guilty pleasure movies, like yeah. like things like that, like old favorites of yep. things that comfort you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it started for me, I started with Urban Cowboy starring John Travolta, which I think is just Love that movie. A piece of work. <laughs> and uh, I will, uh, I would like to announce here on the show, I'm going to turn it into a Shakespearean play. Yes. Copyright 2020, The Late Night Fright. Uh, I'm going to turn that into a Shakespeare play. Watch the movie. You'll know what I mean. <laughs> um, then I, I somehow stumbled down a Steven Seagal rabbit hole. Faith and I are happy to announce to you that we are going to be doing some kind of Steven Seagal match we're going to be matching those films against each other but we're also going to be doing the entire run of steven seagal lawman i don't know if you've seen this show he was a uh, deputy uh sheriff's deputy down in jefferson parish here in louisiana and that show is amazing it's everything you want out of life i cannot wait that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Faith, you're excited about this, aren't you? I actually, it sounds so interesting. It's going to be great. <laughs> so much fun. And uh, I don't want to be mean or sound callous, but Faith will back me up on this. We just looked at a picture of Steven Seagal as he looks now, and he does indeed look like the Pringles man. Yeah, I thought you were. Definitely show me the Pringles. <laughs> he definitely looks like the Pringles man. So, all right, with that said, we are going to be talking about Reservoir Dogs. But, Faith, we have a little bit of business first, don't we? Yes. What is it? The news. Time for the news. The piece of music you just heard is indeed from the LSU Golden band from Tigerland that is part of the repertoire they play at the football games congratulations to coach o and joe burrow and the rest of the lsu fighting tigers for a perfect season and for winning the national championship if you do not know who ed ogeron is please look him up faith who does he look like (laughs) does he look like or sound like or all of the kind of both Cookie monster. And he ends every sentence or interview, I should but yeah, he he did every sentence with it too with Go Tigers. No. More like Go Tigers. <laughs> go Tigers. There you go. That was better. Great day for Louisiana football. Joe Burrow played great. I thought we went great. We got the national championship. We're gonna go eat some gumbo. There it is. Look him up for real. He is a character and it's a great it's a great story on top of it, but he's <laughs> he's a lot of fun. Well, uh, all right, national championship aside, here is the news. Gwyneth Paltrow's website, Goop, recently sold out of its new vagina-scented candle. Wow, okay. The candle named This Smells Like My Vagina was developed by perfumer Douglas Little and the Oscar-winning actress. The company has been reluctant to say whose vagina the candle smells like, and mom has been the word on whether or not they'll be whipping up a new batch of vagina-scented goodness in the Goop Laboratories in the near future. God bless you, Gwenny. Some stories write themselves. They really do. Well, I would like to say my new website, Doop, will be selling new scented candles, the fragrances, Developed in collaboration with the guys down at the gym are going to be called This Smells Like My Dick. This Smells Like My Dick will be available in several different smell strengths, including post-workout, 
eight hours working outside in 102 degree heat and post-coital afterglow. Look for them online just in time for Valentine's Day. Um, I'm not sure who's going to buy that, but okay. This just in, actress Gwyneth Paltrow, while charming as a mofo as Pepper Potts in the Iron Man films, has indeed lost her grip on reality. God bless you, Gwyneth. We have another bit of breaking news. Faith, you, you had no faith in me. Dupe has sold out of This Smells Like My Dick. I am pleased to announce that we are now selling This Smells Like My Ass. This new batch of scented smell goods are available in several different smell strengths, including Taco Bell After the Bar, Brussels Sprouts and Beans, and everyone's favorite, Stomach Flu. I'm sorry I didn't believe in you. And finally... Dan, co-host of The Late Night Fright, while charming as a mofo and extremely handsome, uh, that last part was written in pencil and looks to be Dan's handwriting, he has indeed lost his grip on reality. (laughs) And that is the news. All right, so... Here's the deal. The news segments that we do are indeed fake news. Uh, you know, someone sits down with a pen and paper and <laughs> sense of humor and writes those. Faith uh, looked at me and said that bit you wrote about Gwyneth Paltrow in the vagina scented candle, that was too much. And I said, I didn't make that up. That actually is for real. They sold out of this smells like my vagina. That is where all this stemmed from yeah and and the look i wish you could see the look on her face right now because it's confused yes because the joke was with the perfumer guy like they they lit it uh, and she goes through the mixtures and um and she goes oh it smells like a vagina god bless you gwenny you can't can't make this up i thought it was definitely fake news (laughs) you can't make this up that is, oh man! But you know what you can make up? You can make up a story about a half dozen uh, jewel thieves uh, <laughs> uh, that uh, get double crossed by a rat in their midst, and then uh, chaos ensues in the warehouse where they had agreed to meet up. You can make that up, though, can't you? You think? definitely can. You can. <laughs> that is the plot for Reservoir Dogs. We're going to be talking about that when we get back from the great from the grape. <laughs> Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow has me completely screwed up right We're now. Going to the grape. We'll be talking about that when we get back from the grape. I am Dan. I am Faith. We'll see you on the other side. This is Harrison Ford, the big HF, host of the Straight Dope, the number one rated show on whatever radio station we're on. Why is the straight dope number one? People want the straight dope on the straight dope. Join me this week as we go back to 2001. I was recently cleaning out the attic in Jackson Hole and um, I found a stash I forgot about. I'm going to be reviewing the uh, grab bag of blends that I had stored away for a rainy day and had forgotten about. And we're also going to go back in time to 1969. I'm going to be talking about Stanley Kubrick's 2001 uh, Space Odyssey. I'm going to be trying to figure out what this whole thing's about. There's um, there's some monkeys and uh, Curious George touches a big black rock and um, then there's a really pissed off smartphone that um, tries to kill the astronauts. I really don't know what this movie's about. It doesn't make any sense and I really couldn't care less, but we're going to try and see what it's all about. Right here on the straight dope in Harrison Ford. The Big H Huff on... um, Whatever the hell radio station this is, I, I don't care. This music's weird. Turn it off. Conspiracies is the number one highest rated news show on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. 
You think your life is spick and span? Guess what? There's a big pile of shit right in the middle of the floor. You know about it. You see it. But you just keep walking around it. Join us this week as we talk about the 5G network. FEMA caps. The hidden messages in Stanley Kubrick's films. And the fact that your smart TV is spying on you. You think you're watching it? It's watching you. Conspiracies. Join your unnamed host from an undisclosed location as we shed the light of truth on that pile of shit right in the middle of your floor. Conspiracies, only on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. We are back from Grape. Where is Grape? Exactly? I have no idea. I'm Dan. <laughs> and I'm Faith. And we are continuing Mystery Thriller Month with Quentin Tarantino's 1992 directorial debut, Reservoir Dogs. Faith has lint, lint, lit the <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow scented candle, smells like my vagina, what a sweet aroma we have going on in here. It's completely true. You can look that up. That was on that was on the news. Crazy. I know. She is charming as a mofo in the Iron Man movies, though, isn't she? Yeah, that's she true. Really that's, that's that's true. Yes. <laughs> so we got some charming individuals in this movie, don't we? Yes. So we I mentioned it uh before uh we went on grape. Uh that uh this is about a group of jewel thieves who get double-crossed by a traitor in their midst, and this movie deals with the aftermath of that, um, the heist and them being in the warehouse and trying to figure out who's the rat and a lot of other things going on here <laughs> in this movie. Faith, this was a first-time watch for you. This was a first-time directing gig from Quentin Tarantino, so kind of cool how that goes hand-in-hand. Hand. <laughs> I'm going to give you the honor here. What did you think of Reservoir Dogs? I love this movie. I said it in our episode yesterday that he just has this way of, I don't know, capturing you with his movies. They're weird, but they're so good. Does that make any sense? It makes complete sense. <laughs> for anyone who was around uh, for his ascension in 94 with Pulp Fiction, so 94 going into 95, uh, you more than likely had not seen Reservoir Dogs. Not a lot of people saw it when it came out, but... Uh, it, it did get enough notice that he was able to go to Miramax and make Pulp Fiction. So uh, you saw Pulp Fiction, then you saw Reservoir Dogs. So I distinctly remember the first time I saw both of these movies, and I was one that saw them out of order. Reservoir Dogs, I like how you put it. He just kind of gets you immediately. He he mm -hmm. hooks you. He he keeps with you, and he stays there until the end of the movie till he lets you go. Yeah. <laughs> The same feelings I had watching this for the first time are the same feelings <laughs> I have watching this for the 30th or so time, you know, yeah. re-watching this for this show. And it is so good. This movie is so good. Uh, let's get into what makes this good. This is an interesting watch because this is an action movie with no action. This is an action movie that is built on dialogue. This is a heist movie with no heist. There is there is nothing in this movie that is quote-unquote traditional. You don't see the heist. You see the aftermath of the heist. You see everything kind of going into the, the building of the heist. This movie starts off with a monologue from the director who appears as Mr. Brown. He goes on this nice long tangent about uh, Madonna's like a virgin and what it means. And then they get into uh, tipping and, uh, you know, gratuity and things like that. And then these guys end up talking about uh, women as waitresses. And then uh, they're off on their way. And then bam, you were into a blood soaked car. Tim Roth is in the back bleeding out like a stuck pig. <laughs> We had never really seen anything like this before. You know, the right. things that make Pulp Fiction special are all here. And I want to make this point up front. Everything that makes him special as a filmmaker, whether you love him or you hate him, is in this movie. The mm -hmm. pop culture references, seeing the world through the lens of pop culture. 
the spending time with the characters, the the hanging out, you know, right. um, it's all here Not in it. this first that 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 preternatural uh, uh, talent he has for dialogue is on full display right here in the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> Wonderful camera work and and movement and and poetry to the way that he puts these things together. And we're going to talk a little bit about that first scene in a moment. Some of the like great things that he does there, but um. Really, at its core, this is a movie about its characters, and it's also a movie. Uh, we've talked about this. There's a lot of movies that are mo- great. Movies are oftentimes about movies. This movie's about story mm-hmm. and reveal and those kind of things. The other thing that's there from the beginning is the nonlinear uh, storytelling structure that he uses here, because it, when he the way that he uses nonlinear story structure is not to be cool, because the reveal. The way that he reveals information is necessary, and it keeps this plot, the little bit of plot yeah. that's happening here, <laughs> moving. You know, mm-hmm. it, so the movie is always exciting, even though "quote unquote" not a lot's going on around it. You right. know, <laughs> I think this is this is fabulous. I think it's one of the greatest uh, debuts in in motion picture history. It's yeah. so self assured. Yeah. Everything's here. It doesn't feel out of place in his filmography. It doesn't, f- you know, did he get better? Yeah. You always get better. Right. But it's all there. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it, it's all there. So what did you, what did you think of this? Because this, this is so much fun. That's the other thing as dark and, and depressing as some of this is, <laughs> it's fun and, and it's fun to watch. So, so what, what did you think of it? Uh, I mean, I agree with that. And I think that was one of my favorite aspects is how, it was played out like that because I think that's kind of what grabs you the most is that you really don't know what had happened, but you're still learning about all these people in the story individually and it's still going on and you're still kind of wondering, <laughs> you know, what's what's happening over on the other side. Yeah. The the opening scene especially, you know, because oh, yeah. you come in cold. Mm-hmm. You come in so cold. It's these guys eating breakfast around the table. And so the point I want to make directorially what he's doing here is uh, he's moving the camera around. So you're getting a little bit of motion. You're getting some uh, excitement, you know, some energy. The guys Mm -hmm. are talking. What do you notice, though, about when the camera's moving ever so eloquently around them in that circle? Did you notice anything going on there? Because um, it's so subtle, you may not have noticed it. Tell me what it is. Let's see. (laughs) There's camaraderie happening when that camera's moving okay mm-hmm. they're talking da, 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 da. you know uh quentin starts talking about madonna mm-hmm. and dick 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 <laughs> you know what did you think of the madonna oh my god feel right <laughs> too funny do, do you think that's uh him saying here i am i think so you know maybe in a way yeah possibly I think so. and it's also i think maybe kind of what uh what the movie is about too you know because yeah. it that's what happens to <laughs> to mr white in this movie especially yeah. <laughs> He feels like it feels like the first time, I think, for him. (laughs) Yeah. But there's camaraderie when the camera's going around. So then whenever there's a bit of tension between them or disagreement, like uh, you got Lawrence Tierney playing Joe Cabot, who I think is one of the great performances in the movie. Uh, And as this is going on, he's going, Toby, Toby Wong, Toby. (laughs) And Harvey Keitel gets pissed off and has this great line. I got Madonna's big dick coming out of my left ear. I got. Toby, Toby coming out of my right ear, and the camera stops. So whenever there's any kind of like uh, you know uh, uh, conflict, mm-hmm. it stops. They resolve it. It's funny. Everybody has a laugh. The camera starts moving again. Mm-hmm. Camera starts moving again. Yeah, Mr. Pink doesn't like to tip. Boom. Camera stays on Mr. Pink. Little things, mm-hmm. little things. But you get a little bit of insight into that group too. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit of foreshadowing with uh, Michael Madsen, you know, shooting, you know, doing the doing a little finger gun, you know. Uh, did you notice when the uh, when uh, Joe Cabot comes back? He says, "Everybody put in a dollar for the tip because he got the check." So he comes back. Hey, who didn't put in? Did you notice who ratted Pink out? I can't remember. It was Mister Orange. That's right. A little <laughs> bit of right. for little bit of foreshadowing there because he's the rat. He's the rat in the house. <laughs> he's the undercover police officer. Um, it's all there at the beginning, you know. Yeah. And then you get that great thing with them walking to the George Baker selection <laughs> little green bag. And Quentin's soundtracks have this amazing ability when he uses a song in his movie. 
uh, that song then belongs to that movie. Mm-hmm. That's all you can associate mm-hmm. with that song is are these moments from his movies. And, yeah. and he's got this preternatural talent for dialogue. He uh, has this preternatural ability to use music, source music like yes. that in his films. And that's always been what people, uh, even people who don't like his movies say, oh, the soundtrack's great though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things that I noticed, um, I didn't think about it until the uh, rewatch for this. And it'd been a few since I'd seen Reservoir Dogs. I'd say it'd been about two years since I'd, sat down and watched it the kind of tie to once upon a time in hollywood he's got a radio going Mm -hmm. throughout most of the movie and the radio plays a huge part in his latest film once upon a time in hollywood and stephen wright plays the dj here in reservoir dogs and he's kind of another character in the background at least throughout a lot of this because there's the k billy super sounds of the (laughs) 70s weekend going on what did what did you think about the radio the use of the radio and and uh the soundtrack in general because i think the soundtrack is very good and i think the soundtrack is not this is just a cool piece of music Mm -hmm. you know but nor is it hitting the moment on the head you know like it's not like you're um you have a scene at a zoo and they're playing Simon and Garfunkel's at the zoo. You know, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's the meanings. All It's not I, just cool. Yeah. I, f- I feel like it creates a moment with whenever he has music in a scene. Does that make sense? I mean, I feel like completely, he doesn't put it there by accident. Right. And, and I, I feel like that's in every movie. And I even was like thinking about not, not only his music, I feel like even the way he uses fonts and stuff. I don't know if he's in charge of if he... I'm sure he, I'm he has sure input he is, in that. Yeah. It's from the beginning, though, he's been using that, that that font. There's like yeah. just a presence between just the font and the music, and it's so cool how yeah. it ties into the movie so well, every movie. But especially here, I I, I was I liked that, the moment with the radio. I don't know. I, I, I like that a lot. I want to ask you this question before we get too far in it, and I don't want to forget it. Mm-hmm. Um this movie came out in 1992, uh, so we're talking, geez, 28 years now. This mm-hmm. 28 years old. This mm-hmm. movie is. That's hard for me to believe. It, uh, the world's getting older. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I just made 41. So, <laughs> um, this and, and I know you're coming into this. Uh, you were born in the 90s. Does this movie feel dated to you? When does it feel like this movie came out to you? Does it feel like it came out last week? It it feels newer, even. It has that older kind of look to it, but kind of how a new movie kind of does now, you know? It, yeah. It really doesn't feel like it's, you know, pushing 30 years old. I think it's timeless. Think That's so. the thing. I think this movie is absolutely timeless. Uh, he borrows elements from a movie called Kansas City Confidential with the thieves getting together, uh, you know, at the hideout after something goes bad. He borrows elements from uh, the original taking of Pelham 123 starring Robert Shaw and Walter Matthau. The uh, perpetrators in that film have code names in their colors, just like in this movie. Uh, he borrows elements from a movie. I think it's called City on Fire. It's a it's a uh, Asian movie. I can't remember exactly, uh, but there's elements that he borrows from that. There's of course then elements from '70s cinema, and just things that he likes, you know, because he's such a you know uh, encyclopedia with this stuff. And uh, I mean, the dude worked at a video store, you know, video <laughs> archives. I mean, you know, what a perfect, pl- you know, what a perfect gig for him you know, <laughs> right. outside of making his own stuff. So, um, so it, it doesn't feel dated to mm-hmm. me either. It just has this timeless movie quality to it you yeah. know, because there's no style in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the suits right. are these black suits, <laughs> you know, when you see them in their clothes, you know, it's uh leather jackets and things like that. Everything just kind of looks timeless even mm-hmm. the haircuts are not yeah you know there's Good nothing point. too yeah. out of out of the box with the haircuts and you got the uh the classic 70s music so you're not uh you know kind of linked in there with with the 90s and what was going on there in the music no it's these classic tunes mm-hmm. classic look classic feel and ultimately classic film yeah you know exactly. <laughs> so uh let's get into it the the story here as we said is very very simple but the way that he he constructs it you know the way that the reveals happen you know, you start off with uh, Tim Roth as Mr. Orange in the back of the car. He's screaming like a stuck pig. Harvey Cattell's driving. Mr. White, they get to the warehouse. Mr. Pink, played by Steve Buscemi, comes in. Uh, you learn that everything went south. And uh, so what are we going to do? And then so as this happens, you start getting backstories on a few of the guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of them. Three of them. Another hallmark of Tarantino, chapter titles. He doesn't say chapter here, but uh, you get the little interstitials. Right. Uh, first one being Mr. White. Mm-hmm. Then you get... Uh, Mr. Blonde, finally you get Mr. Orange, and that's the big reveal. He's the rat in their midst. But uh, 
pretty simple story, really. Mm-hmm. Really simple story. Yeah. With great performances carrying it. So Harvey Keitel, I think, deserves a lot of credit because Lawrence Bender, who's Quentin's producing partner, uh, said, I'll get you the money for this. Quentin had sold the scripts for Natural Born Killers and for True Romance, but they wouldn't let him direct them. And he wanted to direct. And Lawrence Bender said, let me find the money. So he went to his acting teacher, had this script. Now, they had shopped it around, and uh, but the deal was they didn't want Quentin to direct. But he wanted to, he held firm to it and uh, keep creative control. So uh, Harvey uh, Lawrence Bender's acting teacher's wife, I think is the story, uh, knew Harvey Keitel, got the script to him. Harvey read it, said this is fantastic, <laughs> and agreed to produce and put in some money of his own. And that's how it got made. So he deserves, cool. he deserves a lot of credit for this. And uh, Harvey, again, uh, back in the late uh, mid-80s, through the late 80s, through, through the 90s, really, I've heard that anytime he would get an independent script like this, uh, he would do it. It's like he would just do it and kind of ushered in these filmmakers. And mm-hmm. boy, I mean, this paid off for him, right? <laughs> I know. But uh, he's fantastic in this movie. And I can't overstate how good Harvey Keitel is in this movie as Larry, a.k.a. Mr. White. You have a first name on him. Mm-hmm. And to me, he's he's the driving force of this movie, if there is one. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. the one who I feel like we're empathizing with. Quentin is on record as saying Mr. Orange, who's the cop, is to him the antagonist of the piece. He's the villain. And I'm wondering if he sees Mr. White as the the hero of the mm-hmm. piece. I see him as the as the protagonist of this piece. So let's start at the beginning here. What are you feeling for Mr. White as this movie goes on? I almost felt kind of sympathetic for him. Does that does that make any sense? I mean, I feel complete sympathy for Mr. White from frame one mm-hmm. <laughs> through the end of this. I know because I feel like as awful as these guys are, and and that's the thing as cool as these guys are, they're so cool. Mm-hmm. And I love spending time with them. These are awful men. <laughs> I do feel like there is some kind of honor in Mr. White. Mm-hmm. There is, He is doing the honorable thing, although it is the wrong thing right, exactly. for his situation. He is doing the honorable thing as this movie goes along, almost like a samurai warrior in some weird kind of way. you yeah. know. And I feel like he is um, as crooked a son of a bitch as he is because he's, he's a thief. Even when he's talking about cutting off the thumb of the manager, you can tell it's not a sadistic pleasure he takes from this. Right. It's more like this is business. He has that wonderful exchange with Pink where he says, uh, you know, I don't want to kill anybody, you know, right. but if I have to, I'm going to. But just for self-preservation, mm-hmm. he doesn't get a thrill out of it. There's a decency almost, I want to say, in this world yeah. <laughs> that he brings with him. Does that make any sense? Were you I catching makes, that, that that's decency? That's exactly what I was thinking. Because even when... You know, he thinks uh, Mr. Orange is dying. He's like, tell me your name. I feel like he still had that decency to be a good person and, like, talk to him thinking he was going to die. You know, like Holding his he, hand. The, yeah. one, the one that mm-hmm. sold me was when he asked him, will you hold me? Mm-hmm. And no questions asked, you know, in this kind of moment of camaraderie and, and, and friendship right. holds him and, you know, brushes his hair, mm-hmm. makes him laugh, you know, and... I, I feel so bad for him in this movie and he's being lied to. That's the thing. And that's yeah. where the thing I was talking about story in this movie is about story and, and, and how stories, you know, are told and how they happen and lies. Oh, there's <laughs> lies here because there's lies and deceit and mistrust. It's almost like a marriage. Um, <laughs> what did you think about the relationship between white and orange? That, that was actually just going to say that while ago, you almost feel like they've known each other or they're, partners in crime or something you know you feel this bond between them almost yeah and it's a really nice you know nice little and thing. i think orange feels that bond mm-hmm. even at the end I, I don't think he's telling him he's a cop to be a dick i Mm-mm. think it's like this full reveal like it's a it's almost a tragic moment it's almost like you know like an apology almost it feels like yeah because you know? i do think he i think in a way he liked him mm-hmm. i really do i think i think, so. I think he liked him did you feel any kind of father-son thing going on there a little bit i could go there I, I don't think i was thinking it then but you yeah bring it up, I, th- I could see that because there, there are some father-son issues here mm-hmm. uh joe is the father quote-unquote figure mm-hmm. of this group um you can feel it in his uh relationship with uh mr white uh, a bit you can mm-hmm. definitely feel it with uh mr blonde mm-hmm. and of course then you can feel it with nice guy eddie played by uh the late great chris penn who i think <laughs> 
Uh, I think he's he's so wonderful. <laughs> and everybody's so good in this movie. Chris Penn is really, really great in this movie. Um, but uh, so, I mean, yeah. So I, mean, I don't think it's anything other than, you know, you've got kind of this hierarchy going right. on here. And uh, but there is this kind of sort of father son thing going on. He's very protective of this guy. You know, I think White goes out of his way to protect this guy and make sure this guy doesn't get left behind. Mm-hmm. Make sure he, he doesn't want him to die. We need to get him help. And I, I and I tell like throughout the movie, the levels of intensity that he's bringing are so good. I never feel like he he's out of control with it. Right. You know, he, yeah. he's always completely there in the scenes. This dude. I mean, he's been around since the late 60s, worked with everybody, came up in Scorsese movies, uh, Academy Award nominee. And, I mean, this dude's an actor with a capital A. He's awesome. <laughs> exactly. He's amazing. Um, he's ne- He never fails to disappoint. I think this is one of his great performances. I really mm-hmm. do. I think so, too. I, I, think, he's, I think he's fabulous. So um, we're going to get to Tim Roth in a second. So uh, Mr. Pink, played by Steve Buscemi, <laughs> oh. comes in. <laughs> Faith, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Steve Buscemi. He's been in so many things. I He's know. been in Armageddon. He was in uh, <laughs> Con Air. We talked about Con Air on the show. He he's been in Adam Sandler movies. He's 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 had a long career. Former firefighter who went back to uh, uh, working with the New York Fire Department after nine eleven. Uh, by all accounts, a really great guy from what I can tell. Uh, funny story about Steve Buscemi. Somebody told him you need to fix your teeth, and he said these teeth are going to make me famous and keep me <laughs> famous. So I mean, he's. I've always, always enjoyed Steve Buscemi. This was the first time a lot of us saw him, you know, here. Right. Uh, funny trivia bit. Uh, Steve Buscemi playing Mr. Pink says he does not like to tip. Quentin Tarantino <laughs> cast him as a waiter in his next film, Pulp Fiction. He's playing <laughs> Buddy Holly in the movie. So go figure. Turn, uh, turnabout is fair play. Turnabout is fair play. Karma's a bitch. Uh, Steve Buscemi comes in. Motor mouth. Steve Buscemi comes in. Uh, Mr. Pink. Uh, definitely has a manic energy about him. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Pink also spouts a lot of truth throughout this movie. Does he not? He does. Does he not? Let's talk about Mr. Pink, played by Steve Buscemi. What are your thoughts on on Mr. Pink? Yeah, I feel like he is uh, not even a character. <laughs> I feel like that's Steve Buscemi, Buscemi if he were a criminal. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the thing that impresses me about Pink is... Is Pink comes in and everything he says is correct. I know. <laughs> like, all right, well, you know, uh, no, we can't take him to a hospital because right? he knows your name and he probably knows where you're from. And that leads him back to me. So, I mean, mm-hmm. self-preservation's there, but uh, he's got the dime. He, he is so, <laughs> you know, he self-preservation is what he is. That is all he, he represents in this story. Mm-hmm. You know, he got the diamonds too. You know, I mean, yep. that's the thing. You know, he... He fulfilled the mission objective, you yeah. know, at self-preservation at all costs, you know. Exactly. And with that said, as manic as he is, uh, you know, he's a criminal. I, I, look, everybody here is a criminal. So, I mean, they're not like nice people. But uh, he seems to be on the level. I was going to say least. level-headed a little for the most part. Because kind of. Kytel <laughs> asked him, are you cool? And you can't see him. It's that great shot down the hallway through the door. And he goes in there in the bathroom. He goes, are you cool? And you hear uh, Bushimi kick you know, a sink or, or the wall or something. You know, bam. And then like, okay, I'm cool. You know, I had to get it out. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk. And the logic of that conversation that they have, you know, they're uh, replaying the events story. They're constructing the story. They're trying to figure out where the truth lies yep. here. And I think Bushimi is just wonderful. You know, the so energy too. he brings here. And I like that he's not overused. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, because this this guy could get, even as charming as Bushimi is, could get completely annoying. Annoying, if, I know. If you use him in the wrong way yeah. and too much. I mm-hmm. think Quentin knows exactly how to use mm-hmm. him. Funny trivia. Quentin intended to play Mr. Pink. But uh, Steve Bushimi <laughs> came in, auditioned. They loved the energy. They said, you get the role kind of thing. So, um that's why he has all the best stuff to say in the movie. Because Quentin <laughs> yeah. wanted to say all the best stuff in his first movie. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> so we uh, we don't learn anything about Mr. Pink. We don't, we don't learn any backstory. We don't we don't need to know anything about him except Mm-mm. that he doesn't want to be named Mr. Pink. And uh, yeah, but uh, and he, for me, he functions a little bit as comic relief. He mm-hmm. he, he does have a uh, he he's not humorous himself, but there's a, a humor to the character. Yeah. I think because of. The motor mouth nature. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think that out of all the guys, they're all kind of they're kind of similar. I feel like in their own way, even energy wise between them. And I think he comes in and it's just he definitely feels very uh, kind of nervous when you're you know, yeah, very he, like Ooh. he he brings the amps up. Mm-hmm. He brings the amps up, but the situation uh, doesn't escalate because of his energy and like i said he's he seems to have a handle on right. everything as nervous right and i can understand he why he's like that you know in this, in this moment totally <laughs> totally so mr blue played by eddie bunker we don't really learn anything about mr blue except for the fact that he liked uh, madonna's early stuff like borderline but he <laughs> lost it with the pop it don't preach phase mr brown played by quentin tarantino we don't really learn too much about him mm-hmm. except that uh, he thinks that mr brown sounds too much like mr shit and he thinks that uh uh, like a virgin is about dick, 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 dick. And, uh, uh, but, uh, Joe Cabot is the one putting this all together. The great actor, Lawrence Tierney, who was in a lot of stuff, always playing these, uh, you know, that voice and that presence that he had. Joe Cabot, uh, the father figure of this group. He's the, uh, architect of the, of the heist. He puts the crew together. Uh, what did you think of Lawrence Tierney as Joe Cabot? Just like the rest of them, I think. Yeah, I think they, like I said, they all kind of have a very similar energy. But kind of like Mr. Pink, I feel like he definitely was different. Like you said, he's kind of. Uh, I don't know if father figure is what I want to call him because he's almost. I mean, I can I can say that. I don't know. I guess he's the. Uh, he's the intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. You know, energy. The, the parental, <laughs> the parental type unit. Yeah. yeah. I enjoy every minute Lawrence Tierney's on screen in this movie. I love his character. Uh, he reminds me of a grandfather, mm-hmm. you know, stern grandfather, yes. <laughs> but a uh, loving patriarch, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I, lo- I love him. Uh, he He's always done it for me in this movie, and I don't think he's in it enough. But I was just going to say the, that. The story dictates, though, that he, he is in it as much as he is. You, mm-hmm. don't, you don't want to need to see too much of him. Uh, you need to see enough of him. And uh, it makes it heartbreaking at the end when he comes in and says, this is the rat. You know? Know. And the, the standoff between them is, it, to me, heartbreaking. It, it's, it's sad. It's yeah. sad. You know? um, I, I think he's great. Chris Penn playing nice guy Eddie, his son. Uh, we just said it. Chris Penn, I, for me, his delivery on things just, <laughs> you know, he, he slips in under the radar for yes. me. You know, because cause he's an outsider. He's wearing that. <laughs> wearing a freaking tracksuit <laughs> top and those jeans and those sneakers you know he does he feel like an outsider to you yeah a little bit he reminds me of a cartoon character or something <laughs> yeah yeah oh oh absolutely absolutely he does um we're, we're gonna probably talk a little bit more about those guys in a second when we get to the end but uh all right so we got two left we got two left we get interstitials on these two uh, the first one is Mr. Blonde, played by Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen is the brother of Virginia Madsen. Uh, she's still around. She's been in a, in a bunch of stuff. Michael's mm-hmm. been around a long time. Quentin has said of Michael Madsen that Hollywood doesn't quite know what to do with him. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I don't think they know what to do with him. Quentin has seemed to figure it out. Uh, trivia bit, uh, the character of Mr. Blonde is named Vic Vega. <laughs> he is indeed the brother of Vincent Vega. <laughs> Played by John Travolta in 94's Pulp Fiction. Uh, Mr. Blonde is, for lack of a better word, a sociopath. He is scary. He is uh, very cool. He's uh, very calm and collected. And uh, dare I say a monster. (laughs) Maybe, sort of. But a monster with honor. Uh, (laughs) Michael Madsen, for me, is maybe the standout performance here. uh, Probably because of of the character, the nature of the character here and what he does in this movie. What did you think of Matson's performance as Mr. Blonde? I thought it was great. I think I think that uh kind of that segue into just him in the office. He kind of just seemed, I don't know, kind of laid back. <laughs> laid back um uh like a dog almost with his tail between his legs because he's at a he's yeah. not in a good spot. Right. And then, you know, <laughs> You, you kind of segue into chopping ears off. Chopping ears off. <laughs> Probably the most famous scene in the movie. Yeah, and I think I think he played that role so well. He was definitely creepy in that role for sure. Yeah. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, what I like about this movie uh, is that uh, everyone's sad when this came out, and Quentin's gotten this 
knock for a lot of his career that, oh, he's so violent. I don't find this movie to be violent. No, I wouldn't say And I love the fact that he turns the camera away mm-hmm. from the uh, from the ear, mm-hmm. from cutting the ear off. Mm-hmm. Do you think that makes it worse? Yes. <laughs> I think so. Did you know what he was doing? Yeah, kind of. Because they, they do. Yeah, you do see him with the ear. Yeah. You see him. Yeah, right for, and uh, Matson improvised a lot of that. He definitely improvised the uh, "Hey, can you hear me?" with the ear mm-hmm. afterwards. Michael Matson is killer in this movie. He really is killer. The little bits that were impressing me was um, when the guy's begging for his life when he's put the gasoline on. He's mm-hmm. like, "Are you done? Are you done? You done?" You yeah, know, just very calm and collected. Uh, sociopath, but there's nothing you know. Right. Yeah. You know, tell. There's no tell with it. Yeah. Like. Yeah. There is no. There's really no look in his eyes like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's not that crazy glint in his yeah. eye. Yeah. Um, and you can <laughs> even kind of buy it when, you know, because they say that he's the one because he started uh, capping the uh, people at the during the heist. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, I hate alarms. Well, you can see, maybe see where he's coming from with that. Right. You know, you can't see where he's coming from with just torturing this guy right. just because, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do like his little dance, though. It's a stuck in the middle with you. So, yeah, I like that. <laughs> this was, as I said, a first time watch for you. Mm-hmm. Did you have any idea who the rat in the house was? Not really. No, I was kind of just going in, <laughs> you know. So when Mr. Orange shoots Mr. Blonde, mm-hmm. what was going through your head before the reveal? I had a feeling that something was up, obviously. But, you know. Did you think he was the, the rat? For a second, because obviously he's shooting somebody to save a cop's life. So, you know, I started there thinking, was hmm. the first time I saw it. I thought, you know, um, there's that little moment, you know, because Harvey Keitel is kind of decent guy. Mm-hmm. At least you, you think he is, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe this dude didn't want to see this guy set on fire. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, it comes out right there. Right. You know, it's not like you have to wait. But it's like, ah, mm-hmm. Um. Did you think it was going to be him? You know, I honestly really, I don't know. I was just kind of. Because the story (laughs) does everything to not set it up because he got shot. You know, I mean, and then it's really awful that he had to shoot the lady who shot him, too. And Mm -hmm. it was self-defense. And he's the one out there to Mm -hmm. sort of protect and serve. You know, and and you could tell it it didn't sit well with him either. But uh, Tim Roth, I think, gives. Yeah, I say it's about all of them. Yeah, everybody's like the best performance, and they all are the best performance in the movie, and they work great as an ensemble and as individuals. But Tim Roth, I think, really, uh, really brings something Mm -hmm. here. I think he's, uh, I think, I think it's special. I really do that he creates empathy for this guy, and then I do side with Quentin. I think that he is the antagonist of this piece too. He's the bad guy. Yeah, he's he's he doesn't belong there. No, not at all. (laughs) No, no, I think. I think he's great. I think he might have been one of my favorites, actually. I don't know. There was just something about him that, even though I didn't know anything about him, because you know, I, I didn't know who it was, who who was the rat, I just kind of... You knew there was a rat. I knew there was one. <laughs> right. And I was kind of going back and forth, like, maybe it's him, maybe it's not. I don't know. I think I think he did a good job of, you know, playing it off. Yeah. You know. Oh, totally. I mean... <clears throat> Freddie. So good. Freddie, uh, Freddie Neuendijk is his name. If you need any more uh, insight into the fact that this is about story, the great scene in the movie, one of the great scenes in this movie, and there's so many good scenes in this movie, is uh, uh, where he and the uh, the cop, his cop friend, uh, I cannot recall the actor's name off the top of my head right now, but uh, that role was offered to Samuel L. Jackson, so Samuel L. would have been there at the beginning, but he was not able to, as fate would have it. Uh when he gives him the story to tell, he goes, this is a funny anecdote, an amusing anecdote, the story about the uh, the pot drought of uh, 86 or whatever it is. He goes, you got to know this story inside and out. You got to commit to the details. You got to know the details. That's what this movie's about. Exactly. Are those details, mm-hmm. those little things that are happening all in this movie. I'm not saying this is happening to M. Night uh, Shyamalan <laughs> levels of, you know, with the sixth sense. No, it's not that, but it's it, it's all there. Yeah. You know, it's all there in, in the details and in, and, in, and in the big picture. And I think that scene is a great encapsulation of what this movie is, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's just absolutely fabulous. You know, it everybody really is. from top to bottom. It really, really from is. From top to bottom on this. So, uh, 
so we get the we get that little bit there with uh, with the story and um, one of my favorite lines from the movie. You got to know if some nasty bastard sprayed diarrhea all over one of the bowls <laughs> in that scene, which I quoted the faith uh, on the way over here. Uh, also, uh, then it it leads into the Mexican standoff, the end of this movie. And uh, what was going through your head? Because this first time watch for mm-hmm. you, so I've seen it. Obviously, I know I know what happens. I know what's coming. and I know what's going to happen. What did you th- What did you think? I was going to hold my breath for a second. I mean, it's like so strange that you side with bad people. You know, that was my question. What, who were you siding with in that moment? Mr. White. Isn't that something? And yes. he's wrong. I know. He's wrong. But that's, it was like, oh my gosh, don't shoot him. And I don't know. Why is that? You know? Yeah. I like Chris Penn's line there. Uh, you know, Larry, if you, uh, Larry, you've known us a long time and I know you respect my dad and he respects you and I respect you, but if you shoot him, I will put bullets in you. I, I like mm-hmm. that whole, the whole setup. Yeah. It's really kind of tragic. It really you know, is. It really, I mean, there's, there's elements of tragedy know. here, <laughs> you know, with these guys. Speaking of tragedy, you know, the, the great Greek tragedies were performed on, on stages as plays. Did this feel like a play to you? Because my God, I would love to see. I don't know if anyone has adapted it to the uh, to the stage. This would work. I wasn't thinking that as but a stage play. That would be interesting. Really would. Yeah, but I definitely I, I wasn't thinking it, but I can see that. Yeah. 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 That'd be cool. It really would. Like I said, I don't know if anybody's done it. Hmm. Yeah, but it it really would just because of the one location, mm-hmm. and you can maybe flash over it. You know. Yeah. Uh, this this really, I mean, for a debut film to be as complete as this is, I mean, from top to bottom. I know. Yeah. One of the great stories is uh, he was worried going in, like, well, how am I going to do this? And how am I going to do this? And how am I going to, you know, what about the lighting here? You know, and somebody told him, Quentin, you hire good people and they do it for you. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading, too, I think what's cool is this is considered like one of the greatest heist movies of all time. But you never see it. No heist. <laughs> like that that shows you like how good it was written, you know. <laughs> what what kills me about this is its dialogue. It's it's all dialogue heavy. There are moments like we said with the action, you know, mm-hmm. with tension with guns being drawn, the Mexican standoff being one of them, but this movie is it, it hinges on the dialogue and the interactions between these characters. Yeah. And, and, and it's so good, you don't need And there's all the tension, yeah. you know, through, through the spoken word. Mm-hmm. And he's so good. He is one of the best at this. I know. I said, you don't, even, you don't even need the violence or more action when the dialogue is that good. I mean, yeah. it's so good. Yeah. He, uh, he's self-taught, you know. He, he uh, learned by watching movies. And uh, he won the Golden Globe the other night for the script for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he gave a special shout out to John Milius. Uh, you know, we did an episode on Milius, talk about his career. There's a documentary that's out about Milius. So, I mean, he's got that thing. You know, he, yeah. he the guys he likes, you know, and the movies <laughs> he likes, he's he synthesized all that stuff. And, and, and it's a, uh, a mixtape. Yeah, you know, I, I always equate his movies to mixtapes. I mean that in, in yeah. as a compliment. Yeah, you know, it's a great mixtape. That's its own thing. Yeah, you that's know? a good. That's a good. That's a good description. I like. Yeah, that. yeah. he's. Uh, I think he's fabulous. Love him or hate him. A lot of people. You know, there's there's no fence. I think with Quentin. I know? haven't hated a movie I've seen. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think. I, there's there's some I haven't seen yet. But I don't think I'm gonna hate this. No, no, you want you want this. This sets a template. I mean, this really does set up Pulp Fiction. Yeah, you know, this leading into that. I think it's. I think this is absolutely fabulous. So, do you have anything before we take a break that you would like to add no. about Reservoir Dogs? No, not that I could think of. Well, we will. Uh, we're going to take a very short grape, as we said earlier. <laughs> and uh, when we get back, we're going to wrap this up and talk about uh, some of our favorites from the movie so i am dan and i am faith and we'll see you on the other side this is quentin tarantino okay you probably know me from my movies which are pretty jamming or from my soundtracks 
also jamming. Would you like to know what I think is jamming, okay? Women's feet. I put them in all my movies. Some people have even accused me of having a foot fetish. Can you believe that? I think women's feet jam. And I'm going to be talking about them on the radio if you can believe that. Join me for Quentin's Petty Palace. I'm going to be talking about all of my favorite feet. Uma Thurman, Pam Greer, Margot Robbie. They're all going to be here on Quentin's Petty Palace, okay? It's going to be totally jamming. It's going to be fun. Come on down. Right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio, okay? This is Bobby D'Amato, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. If you're like me and billions of other people across the planet, you like to get it on. Let me help you get it on. Afterglow plays the best in classic soul and R&B jams to help get you in the mood. Hey, it'll be like I'm right there with you, helping you the whole way. You know what I mean. Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. And hey, right now, if you go down to Maurice's Chicken and Waffles after you get it on, and you tell them Bobby sent you, Maurice is going to throw in an extra bucket of gravy. How good is that? Afterglow. Make some gravy and get some gravy. That's my motto. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we're going to wrap up 1992's Reservoir Dogs from Quentin Tarantino. Faith, I want to ask you a question. Uh, this uh, packed quite a punch, as I said, when it came out, you mm-hmm. know, uh, when we saw this for the first time. Uh, you know, we'd never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was it like, you know, seeing this for the first time? Do you feel like this is wow? You know, were you, were you like, whoa? I, I, I think so, yeah. That's, that's kind of... My reaction watching it, I think, you know, it takes a lot for me to kind of, I mean, not every movie, but sometimes I feel like you want to kind of take a break or, you know, okay, I'll watch it later because, you know, it's not pulling me in. But this movie, I was like, wow, this is really good. (laughs) Someone came over to the house when I was doing my rewatch. I was 15 minutes into it and I had to stop (laughs) because I had to go be, you know, social. And, uh. (laughs) I was so mad. I was not mad because they were there. You know, I was mad because I wanted to be watching Reservoir Dogs. Right. <laughs> and I was so excited to get back to it. Yeah, I had to pause, I think, to make dinner. And I watched it the other night. I was like, man, I'll... I just want to Gotta know what happens. Yeah, <laughs> gotta know what happens. So let's go uh, Let's go favorites. Who's your favorite character here? Man, it's kind of tough. I, I, I lean toward Mr. White, though, most of... I, I really lean toward Mr. White. I got really curious, like, which character would I be? Uh, I took one of those online quizzes, like BuzzFeed. Do you know who I came up as? Mr. Blonde. Like, I, I didn't see that one I coming. See I didn't see it coming. I was like, am I a sociopath? Maybe. Secretly. I'm sure there are some women out there somewhere <laughs> from my past who say, oh, yeah, he's a sociopath. I don't, no, I'm kidding. No, you're not. But, um, yeah, I'm going to go Mr. White. Go Mr. Yeah. White. Uh this is so hard. Did you have a favorite moment in oh, this movie? There are a lot of them. I think when Mr. Blonde kind of turned on us and, you know, started yeah. torturing the cop, I think that was like, Yeah, okay. the way that was set to yeah, it was, Stuck in the Middle with You yeah. by Steeler's Wheel is so good. That editing of mm-hmm. all that is so good. I like when he walks out mm-hmm. and the music, you can't hear them. You can hear it if right. you're listening. And then you walk back in and then, you know, the, the way that he uses, you know, the source mm-hmm. music and, and, and the, the sounds of it is, is right. wonderful. Um, I I like the first scene. I think the first scene really, really sets the, the template for all this. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I think it's freaking cool when they walk in slow motion <laughs> to a uh, little green bag. I think it just <laughs> somehow for me that like just encapsulates what the movie yeah. is. You know, yeah, it's, I agree. You know, it's really cool. Um People have asked him before. He has never given an answer. I don't have an answer. What do you think Reservoir Dogs means? I don't know. 
I, I, I okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb here, um, be deeply analytical. I think it means, you know, that the uh, the this awfulness among them, you mm-hmm. know, this, this impending thing that's getting ready to happen, whether it be the law or the rat or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a sense of doom and dread over it, right? You know, from the beginning. <laughs> Uh, especially when you know when you come in on the car with him bleeding out in the car, there's just this doom, <laughs> you know, like the sword of Damocles is hanging over this movie. Um, I think that 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 tide, that tidal wave of whatever's coming in their reservoir, they're they're trying to hold it back. Mm-hmm. I, that's going to be my take on it. I yeah. don't know if that's correct because he's never said. He goes, "Well, what does it mean to you?" You know, it's like because he doesn't know either. And I want to say like. <laughs> No, what does it mean to you? <laughs> right? Yeah, and I'm all for making up your own opinions on things. I, right. In fact, I favor that. You know, like what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction? I don't care. I don't care what's in the briefcase. Right. But Reservoir Dogs is like, I am curious. Like, what does that mean? You know? To me, that's what, to me, that's what it means. They're, they're holding back this, this thing. I like know, that. I'll go, I'll go I'll, there with you. I will, I, will go, I will go there. So your favorite character is Mr. White. Yes. Uh, your favorite moment is uh, you like the beginning and when Mr. Blonde's. Yeah, I Mr. really Blonde's like moment. the. Uh, I really like the moment with uh, Mr. Orange and kind of that little moment to himself and when he's. Yeah. You know, uh, what's the guy's name who's teaching him how to? I can't remember story. his name. Yeah, but I like that a lot. I don't know why. I just. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great scene too. Uh, did you have a favorite performance? Again, I know this is a difficult one, and oh. and and I, I'm going to say all of them. I don't. So I'm gonna pick one though, okay. but I don't, I don't want to. I don't you want picking? you to think I'm I'm singling anybody <laughs> right. out. Um, I'm actually gonna go with uh, Michael Madsen. I I think Michael Madsen. Uh, there there's something special about him. Okay, I have one. I actually do have a pick. Yeah. Who do you think it is? I'm inclined to go Harvey Keitel. Mm-mm. Is it Bushimi? Yes. Bushimi. The more that I think about it, it's, he really yeah. does just, he, he brings something to it. He really is great. Yeah. Like you said, they're all, they all, they're all yeah, it's, it's really it's hard, hard to pick. It's really hard to pick a, uh, pick a favorite, but uh, this, it's like, what's your favorite Tarantino movie? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm really glad you enjoyed this because um, I programmed our mystery thriller month here. And, uh, this, uh, we've been talking about him quite a bit on the show. He, for and we didn't mention him for the longest time. And then it's like the, uh, the reservoir <laughs> broke open and Quentin kind of became a thing on yeah. the show. Uh, and not because we wanted to mention him just with the things we were talking yeah. about. So it's nice to, nice to do another one of his movies mm-hmm. and we will be getting to more of his movies. Um, but uh, I'm really glad you liked it, and I'm glad that uh, you know you got to see this because yeah. it's it's this is something. So, movie from the '90s. Um, we are of course doing our top ten films of the '90s. We're going to be sometime at the end of March. We're going to we're going to debut our list. Possibly do just an independent episode with those. Uh, we would love to hear from you on what your favorite movies from the '90s are. Uh, send those to us, and we will read those uh, when we do our list of the '90s. And also, if you have a moment, please uh, record a little greeting for us on your phone. Send it to us via email. Uh, you can find our email address on latenightfright.com. We would love to hear from you. We have listeners all over the world and all over the states. And uh, so just say your name, where you're from. Give us a little uh, hello. Say stay spooky. Uh, we will give you a shout out. and We will play that greeting on the uh on the show we would love to hear from you yes. and uh as always we appreciate your continued support and uh hope that you come back and uh next month we are going to be doing uh, straight horror movies we have some good stuff coming up we have our year anniversary coming up and uh, uh i'm not going to tell you what movie we're doing yet but it is from the same guy who did the first movie <laughs> that we did yeah, if you don't know what it is, you better go. And may or may not feature a gentleman in a sweater. <laughs> may or may not. I mean, Do I don't know. know. It, it, we may be doing that movie, possibly. <laughs> we don't know yet. Um, but uh, we're going to be doing horror. And uh, also, just kind of give you a clue of what's coming up for the rest of the year. We're going to be doing a whole month of John Carpenter movies. My good friend Nadia is very excited about that. I have a good friend who listens to the show and uh, she was, she wanted to talk about, they live the other day. And I said, <laughs> we're going to be doing that on the show. Carpenter month. Like, like, hang on, we're getting to it. And, uh, 
uh, great flick. Uh, don't know what movies yet are in that block, but we're going to be doing some of those. And we're also going to be doing a sci-fi month. Ooh. Yes. That's going to be cool, fam. I love sci-fi. Me too. I love John Carpenter. I love, love, it, I love it all. <laughs> love it all. But next month, we're getting back to doing just uh, straight horror. It does feel like it's been a long time. Really does. It really does. Really does. Uh, but uh, it's been fun so far. And uh, Mystery Thriller Month is going to continue with Psycho. one of the greatest movies ever made, 1960 <laughs> Psycho, the uh, the template for the slasher film. Uh, Hitchcock's possibly his best film, one of the best films ever made. We're going to be talking about it next week. Uh, we have an episode that's out on Hitchcock, the film, the uh, biopic about him starring Anthony Hopkins and Dame Helen Mirren. I recommend checking that out. It's a fun fun movie. I think it's a fun little episode. Mm-hmm. And we also have an episode that's out on From Dust Till Dawn. We just had some fun. It's That's just <laughs> such a great little trashy yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a fun movie. <laughs> it's a great trash movie and I love every frame of it. Me too. <laughs> just like I do Reservoir Dogs. Faith, do you have anything you'd like to add about Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino, any of these great guys in this movie or uh, anything that we have coming up? Not that I can think of. Uh, again, I love this movie. I'm excited for stuff that's coming up. I'm excited for Psycho. That's all I got. Same here. <laughs> you know, it, it feels like it's that time, it does. doesn't it? It is indeed that time. Time to say goodbye. We have heard the music. I hear it. That's a nice piece of music. I it's like it. It's beautiful. I like it. Well, I think I think it was a fun show. I think our week of shows was fun, and I'm looking forward to uh, Psycho, and we're also going to be doing some Bates Motel. I can't wait for you to see week. it. I'm excited about that, too. Thank you all out there, wherever you are. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, we sincerely, if this is your first time, we hope you come back, and thank you all for continuing to come back. We're having a great month here. We love doing this show. Absolutely love doing this show. If you get a minute, give us a rating and a review, and uh, send us a message. I'm, I'm serious. We would love to hear from you. So, Faith, feels like it's that time, doesn't it? Yep. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on a leash. leash. We'll see you on the other side. This is a coyote for the late night fright. We hope you got good vibes from this discussion on Reservoir Dogs. There's a lot of people out there that don't tell the truth. Be careful what you believe. Take them good vibes out there with you. If you can't find them, look deep in your heart. They're there waiting for you.